Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Making Sense of It All. I'm your host, Jesse Stakes. So the subjects of technology, artificial intelligence, and automation continue to come up with every single conversation that I have, and it seems like it's touching every single industry. So this week, I wanted to have a more direct approach. My guest this week is the CEO of Elevare Technologies and White Thorn Holdings, Steve Beeman. Steve is a lifelong entrepreneur. Most notably, he co-founded, built, and sold Chicago Investment Analytics to Charles Schwab and Company. He has funded and helped start numerous companies. He has even hosted his own radio show to help people get more out of life. He's authored over 600 articles on better living, including The Path to Prosperity, Financial Literacy for the New Century, two ebooks, and also The American Dream Under Fire. He's an acclaimed public speaker, and I have the pleasure to bring him to you this week. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Steve Beeman. Let's jump into it. Steve, thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure to be on and to spread the message of the digitized economy. So, Steve, for my audience, I met you because you were doing a you did a presentation for the First Coast Manufacturers Association in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, you really caught my attention, and that's what made me reach out to you and invite you on the show. So, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Um, can you tell my audience what Elevar Technologies is and what you guys are all about? Yeah, um, I have been a proponent of technology since very early on. I wrote a book about it called Computers Made Simple in 1980, so I go way back. This vision of Elevare came about two years ago as technology began to grow in the power of the cloud and the power of some of the internet uh, speeds, and we decided that we could go build a digital ecosystem within the metaverse, our own kind of intranet, that would help support the digitizing of small and independent businesses primarily, but also work with larger companies. So in English, what our company does is we are building a interlinked network of metaverse-based office systems so that every person can have their own office, every company can have its own office complex, and they're all interlinked together through an intranet. So like a LinkedIn connection. So would would people just for you know just to kind of paint a picture for people would they would they put on a virtual reality headset would they look at their desktop what would that what would that look like for them We are believing that in order to get adoption we just want to be a two dimensional view of a three dimensional world so you don't need a headset or anything else you simply look at your screen as you're doing now but you'll do it in a virtual surrounding so that instead of us being for example just in a Zoom call will actually be in an office setting in a boardroom or in a, a theater room. We have a theater, for example, that seats 400 people. So you can do it in that virtual digital twin. Understood. I think it's, I, I, I want to dive into that a little bit deeper, but first I'd love to take a step back and learn a little bit more about you and how you got here, if, that, if that's all right with you. I'll give you the background. I have been the entrepreneur my whole life. I started off as a young man selling pots and pans door to door back in the day when you could do that. Um, 
through college, I went to Purdue and studied political science. I had thoughts of becoming an attorney, but I got involved early on in the stock market and became a big fan of the stock market. So I went to work for EF Hutton back in the 90s, back when okay. EF Hutton talks, people listen, and that was back when they were still in good standing. So I worked for them for a few years on the retail side. I didn't really enjoy retail brokerage because I felt like a lot of the people that were investing, to be quite frank, were being taken advantage of. So I jumped to the institutional side with a firm here in Chicago called Zach's Investment Research. I was there for a couple of years, then got recruited to Wharton Econometrics, where I was involved in economic forecasting and consulting with the Fortune 100. And then from there, met two very bright partners and started Chicago Investment Analytics, which was one of the first companies that we now think of as fintech. Um, okay. We were building computer-generated alpha models and then working with institutional money managers. And that was a really good run. Um, we had very successful run for 10 years and sold it off to Charles Schwab. And then subsequent to that, I've been in private equity. But the genesis of Elevare and everything else I do really goes back about five, six years now. When I wanted to, I was thinking about what to do with the second half of my life. And I thought, I love small business. I love the independent business. I think it's all that's good. I wrote a book called The American Dream Under Fire, which is about the changing dynamics of small business in the United States and, frankly, the challenges it faces. So I built a consortium of companies that all serve small. I built a capital company, a processing company, an accounting company, an HR firm, and then Elevere now is being built to sit on top of that as you know our core business model for small and independent business. Wow, it's a lot. I mean, you've done, you've done you've done quite a bit in your life. Some good, some bad. <laughs> hey, if you're not willing to fail, where you know how are you going to be able to be able to succeed? Well, you certainly so, can't hit a home run if you don't swing the bat, right? So, so true. So, you know, I, I heard you when when I heard you speak, you talked about the current economic age as being the digital age. And why would you say that Elevar is poised right now to be kind of to be able to plug into that and make business easier for people to do and make it you know more efficient and better? Frankly, yes, I think, you know, this whole discussion, as we talked at the FMA, we have come through an industrial capitalism period in which capital is allocated based on productive outputs and capacity and a whole host of metrics that go to the ability to produce a good or a service at a lower price. Sure. I believe the digital economy, and I've been preaching this for about 13 years now, the digital economy will transform us out of that into a world where value itself is rethought, where, you know, I, I gave a speech once and I said to people, what is your house worth, for example, if you can't borrow money, if you have to pay cash? Right. It's only, it's what you can afford. It's only, it's only what you have in your bank account and that you're willing to pay. So we're moving into an area of that, and I'm actually dealing with a situation right now where the old economy of banking is not keeping up with the new economy. And I'll give you an example specifically. When you work internationally with the wire community, it's two, three, four, five days before you can get wires done. If you have intermediary banks and correspondent banks, it's very complicated. Sure, if we sure. did this transaction or a transaction like that in Bitcoin, it happens, boom, 10 minutes. There's no right. slippage, no friction. And the digital economy is all about moving things into a world of no friction. Why should we have the friction of time delays, of costs on any of the capital flows when there's no need for it at all? 
Well, and as long as there's trusted parties on both sides, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with you. I think that where that where the control when you start to when you start to take some of the controls off, you start to open the door to potential fraud or open the door to potential nefarious actors that are that are looking to get their hands on your your cash. Yes, you, you hit a good point, but that's where I come back again. And I hate to always be the defender of it, but it's like, well, that's what the blockchain is for, because the blockchain as a technology of distributed processing really can be built to eliminate the ability to conduct fraud. In the blockchain, you can build smart contracts, which basically say until this side of the equation is fulfilled, I won't release this side of the equation. And so the computer's doing it automatically. There's no human interaction. So the ability to defraud someone is much less than you have now. Even in today's world, if you send your money to a trust company and they hold it in trust and the other company puts their money in trust, well, how do you know those trust companies won't mess something up? Well, using the blockchain, you put up a smart contract with money, they put up a smart contract with money, and when those contracts are fulfilled, boom, the transaction is done instantly with no friction. Well, I think confused minds say no. And I think that, you know, people have heard about the blockchain and I'm talking about not people in your position, but people that are out there kind of hitting the pavement every day or they're blue collar and they're just, and it's stuff that they are not used to. They've kind of read an, they've read an article about it. They think they understand it, but they really don't. I mean, if if you were to, and I, I know I'm, I'm asking you to simplify the complicated, but if you were to explain the blockchain to people, you know, in a, in, in a minute or less, what would you say? We're all on the internet now. You're calling in from an an IP address in the internet. All of our computers are attached to this internet. The blockchain simply uses computers around the world like that to keep independent pieces of information. And those pieces of information can only be reunited with a special key or code that you, the owner of that data, has. So the data itself is broken into zillions of pieces. And you're the only one who can reconnect that into a piece of information. So it's just distributed processing, but it's very powerful because it's all done in the computer. And that, frankly, is why blockchain or um, Bitcoin was built. It was actually to validate the ability of the blockchain to use this disparate processing. And I'm speaking a little Greek. I know. I apologize. Well, no, it's 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 I think it's fair. But I think that that's where sometimes the the common person is lost in it because they start hearing technology technological terms that they don't understand it's scary and i think confused minds say no and i think that that's the biggest challenge from my perspective right now is is educating main street on what you know what are you know what are what the folks that have been dealing with the digital economy already they already know it all they they already understand this they're comfortable with it but there's a lot of folks on main street that it's just it is, it's, it's Chinese arithmetic to them right now. I absolutely think that's true. And people hear about AI and its foibles and the kind of things it can do. And I think in general, you do get a fear out of the unknown. But I would suggest, as I said at FMA, you can't stop this bus. It's left the station. And unless you become familiar with it, you're going to be left behind in a digital age that transforms how business is done, how societies are built. Um, if you go back to 2007, 8, 9, there was an early meta technology called Second Life. And it's a social site, but it's based on a two-dimensional metaverse where people go in with an avatar and they can be whatever they want. They can live however they want. What they found is that social networks built within Second Life to the point that people lived their whole lives in there. They had jobs, 
selling stuff to other avatars. They have relationships like families. Um, so the digital world does create this open environment for people to live on a social scale like never before. No doubt. Well, and I think you're going to have, you know, adopters of it that people that desire it and then there's going to be people who who recoil against it and they want to unplug their computer turn it off and run away from it <laughs> and i would argue at the business level you won't be able to i i just as websites now are ubiquitous that you can't have a business without a website i would argue that within five to seven years every business will have a meta space attached to its website so let's talk about that a little bit what would that look like you know like i Give me an example of a Let's business. Say you're an attorney and you're operating down in Jacksonville, Florida, and you have a physical office. When somebody goes to your website up and then just to draw an analogy in the upper right hand corner, there's going to be an icon and you're going to click on that and you will be asked then create an avatar. Takes about okay. two seconds and you will then be put into a digital twin of their physical office. So instead of going in and being put on hold on a phone call, You'll go into an office, you'll be met by a concierge for that law firm who says, you know, may I ask why you're here? Are you here to see one of our attorneys? Are you here as a new client? Are you here to get a special question asked? And it's dealt very much on a face-to-face meeting like we're having now, rather than simply text or chats or emails. Sure. So it becomes a much more personal relationship. And then in the technology of the meta world, you actually would be able to bring that person into a room present your thoughts on a smart board. So you just like you're sitting in an office and then go so far as to sign on a digital contract right there. So I got to, I got to imagine that this is going to, you know, it, 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 every, all of these things that technology does, it all shrinks the world and it all makes it easier to do business with people that are in other States that are in other countries. But, but then you start to, you know, like you use the, you, the attorney example, there's there's different laws and different licenses required in different states or different countries, but some of these things are going to they're going to start almost being antiquated when you start shrinking the world and everybody's doing business with so many people. Yes, I totally would agree with that. And one of the problems we have is the government manages in the rearview mirror, so it never looks ahead on legislation. It always looks behind. It will take a while for governments to catch up, but to your point, they will. But I think back, you know, a hundred years ago, there were people who wouldn't ride on an elevator because they thought it was from Satan. I mean, there were people who wouldn't use electricity. Well, now we do. I think it will take some time, but the meta world will catch on in normal business practices, just as Zoom has. Again, we've all become comfortable doing this. I think the meta world gives business a chance to manage remote work in a much better way than just having a simple video conference. I, I, I agree in theory, I, without, without seeing it and without, you know, and just the, 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 the paint, the picture that you're painting for me, it makes a lot of sense. How is AI going to play a part in this? Well, AI, it depends. That's a very broad term first. Let's hear AI. What? I mean, we've been using smart carts and AI based off of manufacturing for 30 years. So it's not totally new. What we're now seeing is the ability to adapt AI into a natural language interface so that it can communicate with us as a sentient mind, so to speak. I, but that AI, let's use an example. If I built a web or a meta space for you and they come in and there's a concierge there, that concierge might be an AI-based bot. It may mm-hmm. not be a real human, but it would have enough ability to communicate 
and talk to you about what you need. Within the Eliverse right now, all of our private office holders get something called Iris, which is our thing that we created, which is an AI-based assistant. Okay. Well, you can go to Iris and literally ask it anything. You, you know, give me the best marketing strategy for a podcast in Zimbabwe. And it will come up and give you the demographics. It will give you how to do it, what to do. So it's an incredible productivity tool. It's almost going to, it seems like it's going to, it's going to put consultants out of business. Um, You know what it will do is put bad consultants out of business (laughs) because bad consultants give you generic information. Good consultants think out of the box. They give you creative thoughts that the AI won't be, won't be at. They'll be a, you know, a step ahead. Somebody that I respect that I follow online recently said, if we look at AI today, as it exists, it has the intelligence of a cockroach. Mm -hmm. Five years from now, it might have the intelligence of a rat. You know, we're a hundred years away from it really having the intelligence of a person. So I don't think those consultants are a threat. I just think bad ones are. Fair enough. I think that there's in the last, let's call it six months, I have heard more about artificial intelligence and crossing into multiple disciplines or crossing into multiple uh businesses, whether it is uh, payroll services and talking about how they're going to utilize AI to assist their sales folks and their customer service folks, or if it's manufacturing, if it's the retail space, there's just, it's the conversation is just exponentially exploding at this point in time. The release of chat GPT and it personalized AI across the board. Um, And that really did take it, but this isn't new. IBM has a project called Big Blue, and there's something called, um, oh, my mind slips. I'm getting too old for this stuff. They have a very advanced computer system called something. It won on Jeopardy. Again, I forget the names. But they've used that to preemptively work in buildings to find problems that are going to happen in elevators. That eliminates maintenance costs. I think the danger people see now is that the AI bot, like ChatGPT, that you use to write articles will have a bias built into it based on its inputs. So you could argue as a you know a person on the left or a person on the right that it's going to be biased against you and shape public opinion. That's a sure. real risk. And I think all of us will learn to be conscious of the fact that don't believe everything you see, right? Well, I think we're all learning that. And I think we've been learning that probably for the last 20 years with the internet. I I guess that's the thing, though. It's all, you know, whether it's artificial intelligence, even if even if it has the ability to learn, it's still going to be limited somewhat by its programming, correct? It's currently that's why there isn't the kind of innate sentient nature to these things yet. It is an amalgamation of all the information it can get. Now, you know, computers can handle a lot more information than you and I can. So in some ways, that information management is enormously productive and beneficial. But you do have to be careful that you've created that neural network, if you will, or that neural sentience to understand without bias in its creation, especially of the written word. Well, and I think, so for those folks that are, have the fear of Terminator or have the fear of Ultron or one of these, one of these, you know, cautionary tales that they've seen in the movies for the last 30 years that they don't have anything yet to fear. You and I won't be around to see it. Our kids won't be around to see it. Maybe 150 years from now, there'll be something, but I have a, I have a lot more concerns today than that. (laughs) 
<laughs> so if my audience is interested in learning more about Elevare and, and they're looking to get involved, whether it's as an investor or if they're just looking to learn more about it, they're like, you know what, this is interesting, but they admit to themselves, you know, I've got a, I've got a lot to learn. What can, you know, what resources would you point them towards? I would have them go to you know, our direct website, which is investinelevare.com, I-N-V-E-S-T-I-N-E-L-E-V-A-R-E.com. That gives them an overview of what we're doing and everything we're trying to accomplish. Obviously, um, elevaretech.io is our web address. They can go there. There's more information up there. And I think if somebody really wants to dig deep, especially as a potential investor, um, they go to steve at elevaretech.io. We did open this up through a regulation CF offering, which we have a lot of institutional interest behind us, but we wanted to give the ability to invest to the retail investor. Um, you don't have to be accredited. You can come in here. We set it at a $500 minimum. So virtually anybody can come in and dip their toe in this. Um, but I think it's a way for people to invest in the meta space and possibly hit the grand slam. Everybody thinks meta will be. Um, and I say meta not as the company, but as the concept. Um, I think the latest statistic is the metaverse will be a $1.3 or $4 trillion economy within the next five years. So uh, this could be a very, very nice investment, certainly a rising tide. No doubt. No doubt. Steve, I want to thank you very much for joining me today. Um, look forward to talking to you and picking your brain in the future and, and would, would love to call you, would love to ask you back on the show at some time here in the, in the, in the, next, in the next couple of months. It would be my pleasure. And again, if your listeners have questions, they could certainly, I'd be willing to jump on and have a live call with them. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll tell you what, whether you're a person that embraces technology or abhors it, it's hard to argue with Steve's logic. I love the line, your job isn't going to be taken by artificial intelligence. Your job is going to be taken by a person that embraces artificial intelligence and uses it to the best of their ability. I think the best thing that we all can do is seek to learn and understand that which we do not. I hope that listening to this conversation was a step in that direction, and I look forward to walking some of this journey together. For now, that's going to be a wrap for us. I'll catch you guys next time. 